Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Seek to Forest. In this episode, I, Gaurav Gupta, Chief Growth Officer at XF Foundation, will be talking to Mekin Maheshwari, founder at Udyam Learning. Mekin is a well-known figure in the impact space and is driven by impact and scale. Mekin describes himself as an engineer at heart who loves solving problems with technology and people. His organization, Udyam Learning, focuses on actualizing human potential by enabling grassroots entrepreneurship. In this conversation, you can listen to Mekin speak about why they chose the approach of making Bharat entrepreneurial and what does that really mean? What does working with systemic actors like the government mean and why visibility across stakeholders is important to drive sustainable change and improvement? I had a lot of aha moments talking to Mekin and I hope it unlocks a lot of possibilities for you too. Happy listening. Hello everyone. We have uh, Mekin Maheshwari with us today. Mekin has been an entrepreneur as well as an angel investor and somebody who works across a diverse set of startups in terms of advising them, mentoring them. Uh, Mekin was the chief people officer at Flipkart. And since then, on the back of that in 2017, he founded Udhyam Learning Foundation with the intent of enabling micro entrepreneurs to create macro impact and also to allow the young learners to become the CEO of their life and hence open up many more possibilities for them. Of course, besides Udyam, Mekin also has co-founded GAME, which is the Global Alliance for Mass Entrepreneurship, as well as the co-founded ACT Grants, which gives grants in the social impact space. The way Mekin describes himself is that he's an engineer at heart who likes to solve problems at the intersection of technology meeting impact. And in this conversation, we look forward to hearing from Mekin about the journey he has had at Udyam and the shape that it is taking looking at the future. So welcome Mekin. Thank you so much for making time. Thank you, Gaurav, for having me here. Great. So, so Mekin, uh, without uh, much ado, let's uh, jump into the origin of uh, Udyam Learning Foundation, right? I mean, uh, what's behind it? I mean, what kind of problems did you see around yourself? What kind of experiences motivated you to start this kind of a journey? Yeah, I think a lot of the insights that led to them forming would probably have helped shape me through the years, including the part of my childhood where I ended up going to seven different schools to finish my 15 years of schooling because dad had a transferable job. So we kept moving every two years. So I got a flavor of a lot of education systems, right? From a Kendra Vindale or a factory school to uh, convent schools. But I think a lot of the triggers came after I left Flipkart. In 2016, I, as I was leaving Flipkart, I started thinking about what I could do and I was pulled towards education as a way to enable people to succeed and achieve their potential. So the anchor and driver for me was what could enable people to achieve their potential. And my own experiences in various internet companies and Flipkart told me that people had a lot more potential than what systems, society and companies around them were enabling them to achieve. So with that hypothesis that oh, there is more potential, 
than what we are able to unlock today. I was pulled towards education. As someone, as an engineer and as someone who'd worked a lot with data, uh, I was pulled to look at data for education. And amongst many things that I read, I read the ASAL report, uh, Annual Status of Education report that Pratham has been bringing out since 2005. And I realized that I knew nothing about the Indian education system. It looked koi hawaniti. Any number there, uh, had you asked me before I read the report, I would have gotten it massively wrong, which is what percentage of our kids are enrolled in education, how many of them are able to, what percentage go to private schools, how many of them are able to do subtraction multiplication. I had no clue. So one big decision I took at that point was not that I will not operate as a technologist and a product creator or an entrepreneur and just jump in with a solution. I'll spend time in trying to understand and research the space. So the next one year was spent in basically a yatra, uh, right? meeting hundreds of people, reading a lot, spending time at places of learning. And I define places of learning as where the input, which is the learner and the learning processes, were not regarded or were not expected to create amazing results and yet were creating amazing results. And I defined it this way because I, for example, heard Karthik Muldidhar, who's a researcher with JPAL, who's probably done the most number of RCTs on Indian education system. He describes the Indian education system as a selection system. And having been part of preparing for IITs and the competitive exams, et cetera, you knew that it was so hard to get selected that if you did get selected, then in some sense, life was set, right? That a lot more doorways opened. But was that really learning happening or mm -hmm. was it just selection? So I think some of these are the insights through which I got into exploring and researching education system. I post that years, the things that I ended up with in terms of insights and principles that led to them getting shaped included principles on pedagogy that apply at the micro, which is at the learner level, and at or like intentions that apply at the macro, which is at the India economy level. What did I see happening? So let's start with the India economy level, right? That I feel with technology being able to create so much more impact. Companies are able to create far more value for shareholders with many, with much fewer people. Yeah. So the metric of market cap per employee has shot up over the last 30 years. And, it, and I expect it to continue to shoot up. And more value can be unlocked with technology, with new research, fewer and fewer people. And a for-profit company's goal is to create more value for shareholders. Uh, so that meant that there were, in some sense, fewer job opportunities if there were fewer enterprises, if the number of enterprises did not go up. And yet, the core goal of people in education, especially in the Indian education system, was to get a job. If you thought about what does success look like for people who go to the top colleges, whether it's an IIT or an IIM or other colleges, most often it was getting a good job, right? It was their placements, it was their salaries. That is what got reported by the media. So this was like two systems not talking to each other, right? We have, uh, and this is in some ways what leads 
to that selection system that Karthik says, which is in the top 2% actually do very well, both in India and globally, <laughs> because we have that heavier selection system. Because there aren't that many other opportunities on the other end. So that's at the macro level. And at the micro level, I realized that our learning system was far too theoretical. It had very little decision-making or agency for the learners. And it was disconnected from the real world. So those three became the pedagogical principles and the overall focus for Udyam became making Bharat entrepreneurial, right? That if you could, if we could as a country make Bharat entrepreneurial and the way to go about doing that was using these pedagogical principles because this is what I saw entrepreneurs do, right? So entrepreneurs did not do as much theory. They were, it was a lot more action and doing. There was nobody to tell them what to do. There was a lot of decision-making and agency involved. And entrepreneurs were always grounded in the reality around them. It was not in the virtual world. So how do you take these three principles into the education system? Became a key mantra for Udyam. So that's the research or what led to Udyam happening. At the end of it, it started off as a small project in a North Bangalore school with 37 students a summer vacation in 2017 where the principal was willing enough and said that, okay, why don't you try what you want to do with these young kids? And we said, over six weeks, can students run a business project where each team would get 10,000 rupees as a returnable grant? Any profit they made, they could keep. Uh, principals, if they could return, would be great. And decision-making was theirs. What business to do was theirs, etc. And that first... Be, uh, the children of which great? This was 11th grade kids going to 12th grade. So this was the summer vacation between the 11th and 12th. And that experience of just what students did, what these young kids did, 16, 17-year-olds. And maybe I'll quickly narrate a story of one of the teams on the day of their ideas pitched the idea of selling watermelons. I was frankly quite disappointed. Right, that After the two and a half weeks we'd spent together, all I could do was inspire them to sell watermelon. I clearly failed. I wanted them to do much bigger things. But agency was important, so whatever they chose, they could do. On day three of the project, uh, these kids came back much earlier from the field. And I was curious that, hey, what happened? Did you get hurt or someone bully you or something? They said, no, no, no. We just finished our sales in less than half an hour. Wow. Uh, I'm like, hey, okay, how did that happen? Like today, we found that there is something called yellow watermelon, which has medicinal values. We bought a lot of it and we were able to sell all of it. And all that happened in half an hour. I hadn't heard of yellow watermelon till then. I didn't know it existed. So to me, the power of that oh, innovation can happen with watermelon. If young people have agency and they have the freedom to think, to me, it was very, very powerful. And that day, in some sense, laid the foundation for, okay, this is a big idea. Let's pursue it. Wow. Wow. I mean, that story was just amazing. Uh, making because uh, like you said, you know, initially if somebody says all I've learned on the back of this entire becoming entrepreneurial is to sell watermelons, naturally there will be disappointment. But I think what came out of it uh, kind of uh, touches upon all the key principles that you're talking about, right? That with agency, if I can do things which are practical and not theoretical and something which is also connected with the reality of what really happens on the ground, this is what you discover with the reality in terms of what happens. Now, Mekin, uh, earlier when you were dis 
describing this, right? You spoke about the fact that a lot can be done to unlock the human potential, right? And then you connected it to making Bharat Antre Plunurial, right? Now, how do you see the connection between them? Potential to entrepreneurial. Of course, we spoke about the fact it's not about jobs. If kids can become entrepreneurial naturally, uh, it's a different trajectory. Everyone is not chasing the same thing. But the connection between potential and entrepreneurial, how do you kind of get that? Yeah, I feel that there is a deep linkage between the two. That to me, being entrepreneurial is about being more you. So your strengths, your potential being exercised a lot more, being less afraid, being more independent, being able to do and operate based on your strengths and what you like and letting them come out. And while your potential, for example, could be to be a scientist, your qualities of being entrepreneurial, which mean you're gritty, which mean you can take an independent view, which means you can differ from scientists earlier. You're just not following what other scientists have said, but you want to form an independent opinion. You want to challenge. You're willing to experiment. You're willing to try something new and go into uncharted territories. And you're aware of your own strengths. So those four that I just described are what we at Udyam now call entrepreneurial mindsets. So independent thinking, experimentation, grit, and self-awareness. And even as I apply them to a scientist or a teacher or an IS officer, I feel that, hey, what you get is people who will help humanity move forward, people who will challenge status quo, who will help build that. And I'm reminded of this, this classic example of, uh, I think till fairly recently, our suitcases did not have wheels. Yeah. And we would carry them around. And we had done many more innovations including the steam engine and a bunch of others before we got around to putting wheels on suitcases. And that for me is just an example of how status quo is waiting for imagination, is waiting for people to challenge it. And it is only as people have more and more freedom to think and to experiment does some of that change happen. So my view is that as people realize that both they can be more of themselves and also alter the world versus just experience the world as subjects. So have higher agency, have a locus of control, which lies within. I feel that both they live a fuller, happier life and hence at least pursue their potential and humanity moves forward. All right. In fact, that's a beautiful articulation, Mikhail, because in a way, you're not saying that it's really about entrepreneur, entrepreneur, it's about being entrepreneurial, which you, anybody, anybody as can have the potential to be, whether they are doing their job or they are running a company. Yeah, absolutely. I like the curricula that we built, which gets taught in large number of schools today, starts off with stories of uh, Idaran or Verghese Korean, who were both government servants, but they were highly entrepreneurial. Right. Right. Link to an Amul or a Delhi Metro to get created. Similarly, there are teachers who are entrepreneurial, whose stories you capture, or there are scientists who are entrepreneurial. Right. So, change makers are entrepreneurial by design. You can't bring about change without being entrepreneurial. And, and the thought process is not that everybody becomes an entrepreneur or everybody leads to massive change happening. But on this on the spectrum of just listening and following hierarchy or existing rules to being yourself, right? If those were the two ends of the spectrum, 
can we move the needle a little bit towards independence, a little bit more towards listening to what the inner voice of this young person's potential says? Yeah, absolutely. That's very powerful. So, so make it, of course, we kind of left that story at the first initial experiment that you did in a North Bangalore school. Now, how did the story unfold on the back of it, uh, you know, to what it has become today? Yeah, yeah. Um, lots of fun and experiences. So that was very, very enthusing. So we did in the year, in that year, we did maybe six more programs in very diverse locations, including one of them happening in a girls' hostel where the girls could only do it, the program 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. after they would come back from their various places of learning. We would do weekend programs. Then in 2018 summer, we ran a large summer program where we reached out to some 350-odd schools, of which about 35 odd signed up. And we ran summer programs for these 35 school, schools and ITIs. I think reflecting on all of that in August, September of 2018, a bunch of learnings happened. That one, the core pieces were working. The core experiences of when young people were doing a project which they had control over, their amount of engagement, ownership, activity and hard work was just insane. Uh, we had parents telling us that board exam So like kids wanting to do something because they felt ownership of their business project. So a whole bunch of positive stories happened from there. So one uh, and students. So that was there. But we were struggling with finding time with students and finding that students were very, very busy. So one big realization and insight that then happened, which then shaped future for Udyam, was that this has to get institutionalized inside timetables and curriculums. This can no longer be extra additional weekend because we would only add load to young people and they were already burdened. So I think that was one big learning. I think the second large learning that happened was just this process of pitching to 350 schools and helping them understand and then eventually being able to do it with 35. So the realization that amongst private schools and especially amongst affordable private schools, this sales process was not really working, even though as in we were not selling, we're not requesting them to pay money to us, but we wanted them to create a channel for us to reach the students. Also, we wanted to reach out to students who were possibly lower opportunity. Right? So all of these combined together led us to a strategy of working more closely with governments and uh, helping governments co-create curriculum and institutionalize it in timetable. So that then shifted strategy. So by 2018 and we started working in early 2019, we started working with Delhi and Haryana. Delhi was an inbound where Delhi government had reached out to us. Haryana, we had pitched to them and we started working in the Haryana IDIs. So I think that uh, those were early setup learnings that then shaped a lot of what we do today and in about eight states in the country, which is to help governments build curriculum and then help teachers uh, implement that curriculum in timetable. Those were some learnings and what it led to for us. Right. And, uh, uh, but making all of us know that, uh, you know, conventionally, uh, it's really hard to work with the government ecosystem, right? However, in your journey, right, from the 2018, when that shift happened, and initially, then, like you described, you started working with Delhi and Haryana, who now eight, eight states, right, where it has expanded. What has been 
that journey and especially if you can describe a bit about the nature of conversations that happen with the government decision makers as well as those who are then trying to implement it in schools. Interesting question. So one, it's been a learning journey. I never worked with governments before this. I was a techie in my previous life and then was running businesses or HR and then into education, but I'd never worked with government. So it was, I think first is the breaking of the monolith government, that there is no one government. Government has just so many nuances. There's central, there is state, there is the, polit- the politician and the bureaucracy. There are the secretaries who often get transferred very frequently. And then there are directors who are generally positioned with a department for a much longer period of time. Then there are district officials and then there are principals and teachers. So just understanding that all of this is government and you need to work with all of them to be able to make change happen. The realization that the government does not necessarily work in a hierarchical or a command and control fashion. Every level has a veto. So if a principal decides to not run the program, there is very little you can do to influence the principal. So the principal has to buy in and be convinced about it. I think the kind of early conversation, so the first conversation with both Haryana and Delhi about scalability. So the first questions I, I was asked by the Delhi education minister was, you look like a new NGO, can you operate at scale? Um, and then I had not introduced my previous background. So that question made me talk about my past of running technology at Shipkart and stuff. And that helped convince the education minister that, okay, this, this guy understands scale. Um, and I think this, this realization being important that, hey, for governments, uh, all citizens matter. Right? And it's important that when you are going to the government, you are thinking about and at least eventually have the capacity or ability to be able to serve at scale. Uh, so build, building scale solutions is a super important piece. So that's one set of conversations that I can right now remember. I think the other set of conversations were around how do you make this lightweight and how do you not load the teacher? Right? Because the teacher already has a lot to do. So how do you take away as much load as possible from the teacher? And obviously you are introducing a new subject, so it is going to cause some burden, some pain. How do you minimize that? That was not a lens I had worn earlier because when we were operating, we were the teachers ourselves. We never felt the burden. Uh, But as we got into working with government school teachers, government IT teachers, we could start seeing their pain and uh, their realities. So that piece was, uh, again, a very different sort of conversation. And finally, I feel just uh, while I'd seen the power of technology and for technology to operate at scale, to see government operate at scale uh, was fun. I remember this occasion where we were going to do a very large scale training in Delhi and 5.30 p.m., uh, one of the participants in the brainstorming came up with the idea that, hey, if we could have observers tagged to each of the trainers uh, and we could possibly improve the next iteration significantly, et cetera. And I was like, oh, that's it's too late for that idea. Tomorrow, 9 a.m. we start and there are like 75 trainers. We can't find observers. And the government official was like, hey, wait up. What do you need in the observer? <laughs> like, okay, the observer needs to be this kind of a person. They need to have this kind of competence. Like, ha, ho jayega. Right? And lo and behold, 
8:30 a.m. there were 70 observers who are, I could uh, I could give direction and insights on that. Okay, this is what we are here to observe, and they went and did it. So that speed and scale that government can operate at is often unknown to us, and we. I think from the outside, we don't see government move and take action. And we paint government, our movies paint governments in just one light. Uh, but I think government is this is not a monolith. It's just so many different things and it operates so differently. Uh, it's been an interesting learning experience and not all of it has been pleasant. A lot of it has been very difficult too. Uh, you work with a government official for six months, you're about to launch and then the government official is transferred. And then you have to restart from square one. Uh, has happened far too many times. So then you figure that, oh, you have to work across levels and work more with people who, are, who often don't get transferred, etc. I am learning a lot in this conversation. Hope you are too. Which questions would you like me to ask? What areas would you like me to explore further? Please write to me at gaurav at eightstep.org. Yeah, no, that, that's really powerful, uh, Mikit, because uh, I can relate to it uh, also in terms of our experience at Extel. And uh, a lot of times uh, this would lead to frustrations also. But the reality of it, like you said, right, it's, it's really about figuring out, you know, how to work across levels. And uh, in a way, like you said, government looks for those who can think and act at scale. And and they really worry about all the citizens. It's not just a certain section of citizens. Like conventionally, we think of it in that fashion in the private sector. But when you're looking at government, government cannot deny benefits or uh, things to any citizen. And one of the learnings I wanted to share in this context uh, in terms of what we have had is that, you know, in this entire thing, visibility is a very, very important angle, right? And then you just spoke about the fact that you had to attach observers to people. But uh, in our journey at Extra, we found that visibility to what's happening on the ground for folks across the hierarchy becomes a very nice kind of a grease. It's like that thinking, if there's friction, visibility gets removed. Because all of a sudden, now people know what's happening. Otherwise, they don't get to. That's the other you know, aspect of it. And then as government, we want to do things at scale. So that's uh, really, really important. And it's visibility access that Greece was key learning in this uh, context. I'm, I'm reminded of, a. am on the board of Sikshana, another nonprofit which works in Karnataka in education. And they were running summer camps. They had the responsibility of running summer camps across Karnataka districts. And as uh, Prasanna, the CEO, was going around and seeing this so much great work happening and nobody knowing that, oh, these teachers were putting their heart out in the summer heat in North Karnataka, which is like extremely hot. Uh, so he built a quick dashboard uh, where teachers could upload pictures which would show up on their districts. And just that simple tool, right, led to amazing amount of visibility and action on, hey, aapke district se photos kyun nahi Like, oh, this district has published so many photos and see what all kids are doing. And and suddenly, like a lot of conversations start happening. So that simple tool to create visibility of what's happening on ground can lead to so much friction being removed. Completely concur with that insight. And I've experienced it multiple times. Yeah. Well, that's really powerful. Of course, you know, in a way, this was a shift from 
the originally envisaged pathway to you know what it became as you know you and the team started working with the government did that lead to you know change in any of the principles in terms of uh, how udyam should approach things yeah i i think the actually the core pedagogic principles both at the micro and then our eventual goal at the macro did not get touched right so i think of it as a strategy shift right so where you play and how you win but not a shift in either the principles or the values so being learner centric remained now one thing that did happen and that continues to be a challenge is that now as you're working with the government and it's the government teachers who are doing this how do you get data back so that visibility and at the same time so now this poses multiple challenges because you realize that teachers feel threatened uh if there are inspectors or observers and there is data being reported in a way which said it seems to evaluate them right and that's not kind to them that's not easy for them so what do you do so that you get on ground data i feel that's been a large challenge for us to solve as a result of this strategy right that you have to do more to be able to do the same thing that you were earlier doing very easily because earlier you had your own facilitators so observers and observation data and tech tools etc were possible but when you're working with the government how do you enable that to happen um, so so some of those uh, have been additional challenges to solve for like other parts of the problem to uh, unlock no absolutely and uh, making i just wanted to touch upon that because i think that's very very important that the moment somebody knows that you're getting monitored it changes the behavior right and it may a lot of times may not be the intended behavior that that you want right and hence the mindset shift from collection of data to data getting emitted on its own becomes really important yeah right and and uh, you know actually two examples come to my mind when i look at some of the experience that we have had one is in the context of that energization of the textbooks right now because a simple qr code sits on the textbook it also uh, besides emitting data of uh, you know who is using it where it also not personalized data but just you know data about uh, the number of users uh, from different uh, districts etc of the country it also tells you whether the textbook has reached that place yeah right without actually asking for that kind of data right because what enough emission of uh qr code usage is happening in that particular town or district you know textbooks haven't reached there yeah. right so that's one example of pivoting it from trying to collect that data to that data getting emitted and helping you make decisions second is closer to the shikshana example that you are talking about uh, right so so one of the partners uh, shiksha lokam and mantra for change as they work on a project called micro improvement which is small steps to build great schools a lot of teachers actually upload pictures yeah of the micro improvement that they are trying to do in the school right. and they do it with a lot of pride yeah right and then hence it's, it's not like you're trying to collect that data it's just an avenue for them to declare look i have done this i'm proud of this. yeah yeah i so i feel like that's a that's an important lens to wear right that especially when working with government stakeholders and government system to to not be operating from an evaluatory point of view but a supportive and a celebratory point of view 
uh, is an important insight to help the system be led towards what the system can do versus being held accountable to what the system needs to do. And that's it's an important insight when working with bureaucracies and with governments. In fact, you've touched on again a very powerful thing, can do versus needs to do. Because the can-do is far, far more important that that's what people can do. Uh, do you want to kind of talk about this a little bit more? I mean, how do you differentiate the two? How do you look at it? I, I think, uh, again, this goes back to the core of thinking about human potential. Right? To think about what is the teacher's potential. And to become the wing, the wind under their wings. Right? That how do you, as you design for the teachers to be able to take a curriculum, uh, how deeply are you able to think about the teacher themselves, right? And what are you making easier, better, and just more, more happy and experience for them? I think that's been that's been an amazing journey. So multiple uh, stories of like teachers sharing that, hey, thanks to this program, this girl who has been in my class for three years and had never heard a voice has started speaking up. Wow. Because as in, your lesson plan is written that all kids share experience. All kids share their experience. And I would ask her every day, but she would not respond for the first seven, eight days. Uh, I think ninth day, she started to say something. And now she says it in period. Mein bhi bolti hai. Right. And the joy that the teacher was experiencing because this teacher genuinely loves the kid. Right? And is happy to see the child make progress. And the fact that there are a large number of such teachers in our system, right, who may not have had the tools, uh, an experiential learning tool that actually encourages participation of everyone versus a textbook, uh, which is only asking for, and only people with the right answer raise their hand and get to talk in class. Right? So a typical class where only the top three people are engaged in conversation versus the classrooms that we run where at least 70, often 90% of the kids are engaged in the classroom feels very different. And there are at least 20, 30% of teachers who are overjoyed with this child participation because the reason for getting into teaching was children. So I think this piece that the realization that oh these teachers want to do this and you are helping them do this. So they can do this versus that every teacher has to do this. Right? Niyambad rule-based uh, where they have no agency. I feel like creating an environment like that isn't helpful, especially in an education system. And their role is to actually enable. Absolutely. Very well said, uh, Bikin. Now, uh, just kind of, you know, uh... Coming to this aspect, you touched upon the aspect of tools, right? And a lot of people do not have tools. Of course, tools can be of different types, some of which may be digital in nature as well, right? And uh, we as a nation have seen how uh, digital infrastructure has changed the way things can happen, right? The example of uh, direct benefit transfer now leading to bank accounts, which more than 80% Indians have, which would have otherwise taken us 40 odd years, which happened in six years, right? What do you think as, uh, you know, some of that digital infrastructure or tools uh, that have been around, but need to be either better in the future or some of which can come up in the future, which can really shift 
the equilibrium in the country? A broad question. I'll start with some concrete examples of what we already do and then maybe get to answering the future potential question. So one of the things that, that we do is uh, students doing business projects or social projects in groups. And then one of our realizations was that while it was hard to expect every child to have a phone, expecting every group to have a phone and maybe even influencing group formation based on this could be done. And now suddenly you have students doing business projects and they have access to internet. They have access to WhatsApp and a chatbot that can that they can use for seeking help, for finding solutions, for uh, reporting on how their business project is doing, etc. So we've been able to, in Punjab, we've been able to build a chatbot that then students use through their business journey of as in customer survey or market survey, problem identification, like the chatbot guiding them through the process of, okay, who's your customer segment? How do you want to think about pricing? What is your product? A ledger, which allows them to record their income and expenses. And finally, like even for moving to next rounds, them making their pitches on the chatbot that uh, the chatbot can then help in assessment and evaluation uh, so that top ones move. So I, I feel even though we are reasonably distant from every child having a device, and I think as a country that might take a long while, finding models of group learning, of peer learning, where at least in a group of students, devices are available, et cetera, can start solving a lot of enablement using technology. Right. So this is, uh, this is an example of something that we already use. If I step back, I feel, again, this is touching upon the part of can data be emanated or can data be emitted, right? And I feel the number of parts of our learning systems that today are digitized, right? I would rate that to be below 1%. That the whole learning, so education and skilling systems uh, have massive opportunity of digitization, not for the sake of emanating data, but for the sake of becoming easier, more personalized, more friendly, more efficient. So being able to create more efficient systems for achieving the goals that we have. And in the process, uh, being able to emit a lot of data, which allows for uh, even more efficiency, even more personalization, et cetera. So I think that a lot of that should become possible. And then finally, something that I am very passionate about is how do we enable student actions or youth actions uh, to then reflect in credentials for them, right? Which on the basis of which other people in the ecosystem can make decisions, right? That today our signaling systems are based on only assessments which are very centralized and hence become very high stakes. So these are the 10th and 12th board exams, right? Which, uh, or entrance exams, which are very high stakes exams. But how can it become a lot more continuous where, hey, this young person is doing ABCD in sports, is doing these internships, is taking on this job in the summer, is doing this, and all of them, right? Instead of them being just static on resumes, being actually verified by people who have seen this person do it, right? And have participated in that experience could help employers make decisions, could help universities make decisions a lot better and truly democratize 
student action based progress right so the merit is not no longer just based on what you know but what you can do and that's starting to get valued so that's where my heart and dream lies that i hope with advances in tools and technology we can do a lot of that in the education and skilling space that's really a, a visionary articulation making because uh, you spoke about the fact that you know how many can use technology but in that in the context of solving their day to day problems right and in terms of things becoming more efficient more personalized easier to do and then you know how does it open opportunities for them on a completely different dimension based on who they are what they can do and hence those credentials uh, and then what it opens as the doors of opportunity for them in fact the good news is that the government is actually looking to make an effort in that direction and education ecosystem registry to begin with in the context of education and skilling is upcoming in fact the design and document for that just came out and it's uh, available and out there for uh, public consultation uh, but but this really paves the uh, way for a very very exciting future in terms of what it can be so making just a la- last segment which i call it a bit of a rapid fire segment and very short questions and uh, probably short answers so your favorite mistake at udyam yeah uh, asking for student nps student nps yeah oh wow so i'll i'll give you the reason why it's a mistake uh, the question for nps is uh, as in what is the chance that you will recommend or how likely are you to recommend this service or this experience to others Uh, and a large number of students read that as how many friends will you recommend it to uh, so they answer 3 and 4 while their student satisfaction scores are 100% uh, but the student nps is low so so that for example it's a it's a three level indirection question which right. translated and in the spaces we operate this was a funny insight and absolutely absolutely uh, your favorite learning yeah the need to operate inside timetable and uh, with governments excellent your favorite aha moment the yellow watermelon story oh wow yeah and, and that was really intriguing awesome your favorite prediction for the future yeah, i i feel we are at a place where we have two uh, i would call digital public goods operating at scale in india right now and i imagine the next 10 years that number being like 20 and having built this digital public goods infra we are a country where things like what d2c has happened in the marketplaces is happening across the board in all domains and leading to a lot faster improvement rates and a lot faster meritocracy and like growth of hard working talented people uh, across spaces so yeah i'm i think i am very bullish about this uh, is public goods becoming like the operating system for a large part of a country yeah if you were to give one piece of advice to any entrepreneur listening to this what would you like to tell them listen to your customer excellent thank you so much making it was wonderful chatting with you it was an amazing conversation and i believe listeners will get to learn a lot from it and see many many possibilities that they otherwise uh, may not have seen thank you so much for making time and it was really great talking to you today thank you garav for the opportunity and all the best thank you
I unlocked a lot of possibilities in this conversation. Hope it did the same for you. Which leaders would you like me to meet? What would you like me to ask them? Please write to me at gauravetxdev.org.